Hello and welcome to the Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes here with Pat Avendroth, and I'm telling you what, we are excited for this episode for many, 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 many reasons. One of which, though, is several reasons several for several reasons. listeners. I was trying like to avoid say. the word. One Good. of which we haven't recorded together in our posh Pactum studio for a long time. It has been a minute, so it's good to be back together. It is great to be back together. No more Lone Ranger, no more in my basement, no more on the road in Arkansas right. or Colorado. Colorado, Colorado dude. dude. Yeah. <laughs> We're here together in the Pactum studio, and today we want to talk about Covenant Theology 101 on episode 116. That's kind of confusing, but we're not just talking well, about covenant yeah. theology. We're, we're talking about the book. Yes, the we are talking book, about the covenant book. theology. If our Pactumverse listeners haven't seen it already, which I'm sure every every one of the several of you has seen it out on the <laughs> interwebs, there is a brand new bestseller in Christian salvation theory. Is that what it's called? <laughs> <laughs> Some obscure, strange no, thing. But there but is we a we, we new, like to own it. That's right. There's a new book that's hit the, not shelves, but interwebs. This last week... It's on the shelves in the bookstore I see here at Omaha, at Omaha Bible, Bible Church. Church. That's right. Uh-huh. But Covenant Theology by our very own Patrick Abendroth. Oh, We wow. are going to talk about the book today, talk about Covenant Theology, what the content of the book is. And uh, this is kind of giving me like a, an interview here with me and Pat, the author of this book, so we can give you all the insider info of Covenant Theology. It's been fun so far, Mike, because the book has been, I think, officially out for one week from the time we are recording this. Yep. And uh, appreciate all the kind words and encouragements and purchases and all that. So we actually have some decent momentum going, and that's probably an understatement. So yes. Amazon has recognized that people might be interested in this book. And so it went from me, you know, typing in covenant theology and not finding anything. Right. Yes. To now, you know, it might be one of the first couple, two, three hits that you get. And that's really what we want to do because we want to get it out there and easy to find. Right. So thank you if you've been a part of that. Thank you if you've written reviews. Uh, it goes a long way, actually, in making it accessible. Yes. Yep. So what we're going to do today, I've got several questions for our several listeners. Let to me be get on the, I'm a, and I'm going to go over to the Pactum sofa. <laughs> yes, the Pactum sofa. <laughs> it's green, and uh, Pat's going to be on the sofa. I'm going to ask him these questions, and hopefully, you're encouraged by it. We'll start off with uh, number one: What is the purpose of the book, Pat? Tell us what the purpose of Covenant Theology, the book, is. It is to show people that Covenant Theology is in fact biblical. Mm. So that's the main thing. Um, it's. Uh, the Bible teaches it. You can look up verses, and when you categorize the verses, you say, you know what? This is what other people have called covenant theology. Also, purpose behind it, I, I just want people to know what it actually is and what it actually is not, because sometimes people have said that it's something that it's actually isn't, and so I want to kind of clear the air and hopefully help people to see um, his, this is what it is, and you can affirm it. This is what it is, and you can reject it, but let's be clear about what it actually is. Right. Yeah. By covenant theology, I mean a way of understanding the Bible that makes sense of both the whole and the parts. Uh, And in doing so, really, we understand three important things. First, we need to understand that God requires perfect obedience for justification. That's part of covenant theology because that's labeled the covenant of works with Adam, at least. So in order to be saved, in order to be justified, you have to be perfectly obedient. We know that we're not, uh, and we've fallen short of that even in Adam, not to mention our own lives. The second important factor in understanding covenant theology would be that anyone and everyone who will ever be justified or whoever has been justified is justified by grace alone, 
ultimately because of the finished work of Christ alone. And the label for that is covenant of grace. Mm. And so that's important. And the third part and the third component, if you will, in understanding covenant theology is knowing that God's perfect plan of salvation in Christ is according to his purpose, according to his decree. And that was determined before the foundation of the world. We call that the covenant of redemption. Hmm. So if we keep those things in mind, really, and we use the labels, uh, not everybody likes the labels. I think we should embrace the labels for convenience. Covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption. Back cover of the book says, what is covenant theology? Covenant theology is the biblically derived perspective that everything that happens can and should be understood from the perspective of the covenant of redemption, the covenant of works, and the covenant of grace. Hmm. So that's what we're trying to accomplish, what it is, what it is not, so that we can embrace it or reject it, hopefully embrace it. Right, yep. Um, but just to, to, to make it clear, to make uh, it clear for anybody and everyone who wants to understand what it's all about. Well, good. So you mentioned clear for anyone and everyone who wants to know what it's about. What is your, do you have a specific audience? Like, do I need to have a PhD to read this or is this just for anybody who wants to learn? Since I don't have a PhD, <laughs> I hope that's not the case. So <laughs> target audience is going to be a person who really wants to know. If you, if you really sure. want to yeah. know, uh, the book's not super easy, but it's not super complicated either. It's under 200 pages. Uh, the formatting is easy to read. So if you want to know what it is and you want to know what it isn't, I think this book is for you. The person who doesn't know what it is or the person who's been told uh, that it's the worst thing on planet Earth and you need to avoid it at all costs because it's not biblical, I think uh, that person is going to find out that it actually is biblical mm. and maybe that will be helpful. Uh, also, um, I, I hope people who are not fans read it and say, well, at least I'm, I'm clearer now as to what it is and I'll represent it better. Hmm. I like that. I don't think the book, it, the, the aim is not for the person who's affirmed covenant theology for the last 25 years and has a PhD. Sure. Yeah. It's not, that's not really the audience. Although I have friends who meet that description yeah. and they are reading it and have read it and they like it. And I think they like it because they could give it to someone else. Sure. Yeah. 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 So I think it's good for that reason. I, as a pastor, I like to read books um, maybe that are simple, not maybe f- for my own understanding per se, if I already understand an issue, but I like reading it. So then I can know if it's a good tool to put in somebody else's hand. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're getting some good traction in that way. Good. Yeah. So we'd encourage any of you in the Pact and Verse, who are interested and want to learn, pick it up. It's not too difficult, but it is going to be, you know, a little bit of some work involved at times. But there are footnotes. There Pr- are Praise footnotes. the Lord. There are footnotes and not end notes. <laughs> not end notes. So, oh, man. No. I, it, it really is cool to watch, like, academic friends of mine say, hey, thank you for this. We want to order it for our church uh, yeah. bookstore yeah. Yeah. Uh, to put it in people's hands, even though they probably didn't learn anything themselves in reading it. Sure. It's a tool for them. And yet we also have people who are you know, stay-at-home moms or working moms or uh, high school students saying, yep. this is helpful. Yep. Yep. So helpful and encouraging. Yep. Good. So uh, since you're on the sofa, tell us a story, Pat. What is the story <laughs> behind your deep dive into covenant theology? How much time do we have? We Mike? have as long as our listeners will stay engaged. That's so. true. Hey, aren't we doing a contest today? I was going to wait till the end of the episode to see if they stay engaged and listen to the end of the episode. Oh, I see. So, I'm going to put it out. Hey, there's a teaser. Oh, we, we are going to we give, can do a teaser now. Right. Yeah. We, we are going to give away a copy of the book. Yeah. Uh, but you have to stay tuned to yeah, the end or fast forward right now. Whatever one right. you want to do. <laughs> 
What's so, the story? What's the deep dive? The into story the behind it would be, I think it's, uh, if you read the preface, you'll kind of get the story, but I'm not going to sit here and read the preface to you. Okay. But a deep dive, really it has to do with justification. Yeah, so yeah. if in my own personal journey. <laughs> if, there it was, folks. He said, right? journey, on the pack. In my, uh, on purpose though, so it's okay. Okay, okay. So in my own story, uh, as a seminary student in 1994, when the evangelicals and Catholics together thing was happening, mm. uh, I can just remember thinking, I need to know about this. I need to understand justification. Uh, it's, you know, R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur and others, Michael Horton are meeting with J.F. Packer and Chuck Colson and uh, how some of these evangelicals are compromising and saying, basically, we're brothers and sisters with Roman Catholics. And mm. so first, first comes justification. I really wanted to learn all I could uh, as a seminary student, even above and beyond classwork. And then you figure out, well, there's something under, something lies beneath, hmm. like a scary story. Right. And the thing that lies beneath is imputation. Right. So Christ's righteousness credited to the sinner by faith. And once that happens, then there's a basis for God declaring you righteous, right. which is justification. And then you keep learning and keep studying and you think, oh, there's more to this. Yep. Uh, and it's the act of obedience of Christ because Christ fulfilled the law. So his fulfilling of the law, his righteousness, in other words, is what's imputed to us mm -hmm. so that we can be justified. So there's that. And then the act of obedience of Christ is controversial because some people don't like that. Uh, and so they get imputation wrong and then they get justification wrong. And one reason they don't like it is because the act of obedience of Christ is inseparably linked to the covenant of works. Mm. So Jesus did this. In other words, he obeyed God's law as a representative so that we would have eternal life. Well, that's covenant of works talk. Right. Yeah. So before you know it, uh, now, you're, now you're all in and now you have to say, oh, covenant theology is right and true. Mm, yeah. If you're going to have justification by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. Yeah. So that that's what led to the deep dive. Also, I was doing my doctoral work with people having classes with R.C. Sproul and Michael Horton and John Fesco and people like that really helped. It also really helped to study the writings of John Nelson Darby some because when this controversy that I was associated with was brewing circles that we run in mm. with people denying the act of obedience and denying the covenant of works and saying uh, what's imputed is Christ's inherent righteousness and crazy things like that. Well, that's very Darby-esque. Mm. And uh, I, did, I hadn't realized how many of the people I had respected and looked up to in other areas were basically Darbyites. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, that, that helps too, to kind of hear him and maybe other people who followed him, like Harry Ironside, who's written some good things, but crazy views regarding imputation, denying active obedience, therefore denying the covenant of works. So uh, th that's what's led down the rabbit hole. I would say it's down the rabbit hole, right? It's one thing led to the next. Yep. So when pastors ask me or seminary students or friends, hey, how do I help other people see the significance of this? I always say start with justification. Yeah. And what you're going to find out is it, it is tied to covenant theology. Uh, yeah. It's tied to the covenant of works, covenant of grace, even the covenant of redemption. So, mm -hmm. and then and then really we're sounding Protestant. We, we, sure, we, we yeah. don't affirm legal fiction. We don't have justification based upon nothing. It's based upon imputation, which is Christ as the obedient representative, act of obedience. And that happens because he is fulfilling what Adam failed to do, the covenant yeah. of works. That's great. So what's the story behind the book? Why did you put it in book form? What led you to do that? So I, 
I like to blame people for things <laughs> because, you know, we're chips off the old block. It's, right? it's the woman you gave me, God. It's that kind of thing. So, Point the finger. Right? Since we are all fallen in Adam, uh, right. our yeah. first federal head. No. Uh, joking aside, uh, my brother Mike said, said you know what? Um, maybe not every dissertation should be published as a book, but I think yours should be. So don't, mm. don't change anything. Just put it out there. Write a preface, basically. So if you don't like Covenant Theology, the book by Patrick Abendroth, just blame No Compromise. Yeah, it's No Compromise. Just blame my brother. <laughs> and but you can send emails to them at... <laughs> it's true. But if you like it, you know, you probably have to think he's the wiser, older brother of Pat Abendroth because right. you know what? He is. <laughs> Shout out to him. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, let's talk M. Night Shyamalan. Is that how you say that? Shyamalan? Sham- I, Sh- Shyamalan. That's I right. think yeah. so. M. Night Shyamalan. M. What is what did The Village, <laughs> it's a movie uh, by M. Night Shyamalan, which I have seen, by the way. Good. What does that have to do with have you seen Have you seen Rabbit Hole with Kiefer Sutherland? No, and I almost brought that up okay. when you mentioned Down the Rabbit Hole because I've been wanting to see it because confession moment for me, I'll take a turn on the couch. Okay. I am just now, for the first time ever, watching 24. Oh, I totally lost Jack out Bauer. on that whole series. Didn't never watched it, and now I'm I'm all into it. It's fun, yeah. So anyway, so I want to see the rabbit hole. Have you seen the rabbit hole show? I'm up to date. So the episodes are coming out, and it's no 24, but and it's kind of weird seeing Kiefer Sutherland with do something else wrinkles <laughs> that he didn't have before. <laughs> So He's that's, getting old. That's kind of weird, but no. anyway. Anyway. So anyway. So M. Night Shyamalan, The M, Village. M. Night Shyamalan, The Village. So probably the mo- – what's the most famous movie he's done? Would it be Sixth it's, Sense? Sixth Sense. I see, I see dead people. Yeah. And uh, did he do Signs? I think so. So yep. maybe one of those. Maybe it yeah. might be one of the big, big I, ones. I think – uh, I see dead people one is pretty good. Probably. I traumatized my kids with that. Oh, my. Yeah. No. My kids haven't seen <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So he produced – or there's a movie called The Village, and yeah. uh, it's not the best movie in the whole world. Yeah. We've used this before, but I, I like to use it as an example because it does relate to covenant theology in this way. In that movie, uh, this is a spoiler alert, by the way. Sure, so yeah. If, if you, you haven't need, seen it, fast forward. You might need to do that. But they they have this make believe community, and they're you know maybe they're conservative. They want to shelter their f- children yeah, yeah, and their yeah. families from the outside big bad world. Mm-hmm. And so they make up some folklore, and you know there's like a werewolf kind of g- yeah, yeah. creature, and so everything's fine and good, and they think it's wonderful unless a real crisis happens. Mm-hmm. And so if they need serious medical attention or medicine or something like that, a real serious crisis, then what they have to do is they have to send someone to the outside world to get real help. And I think it's kind of a metaphor uh, for covenant theology in evangelicalism. Hmm. And when evangelicalism needed real help, for example, with evangelicals and Catholics together, guess who had the answers? Yeah. Right. It was yeah. on the, the outsiders had the, the answers. Outside, yeah. Those who were committed to classic covenant theology, covenant of grace, covenant of works, covenant of redemption. Uh, that's really where the, the foundation is for justification by grace alone through faith alone on account of Christ alone. Hmm. And we had to reach out to those bad guys those out bad guys there outside on the, the outside the of the village. Oh, man, that makes me want to watch it. I'd be up for doing that. You you had mentioned to me maybe the Village movie. This was years and years ago when I first came on the staff here. And I remember I had not seen a single M. Night Shyamalan movie at all. And so I went through and watched like all of them. It's some trippy stuff. Some of them are just – some are, uh, yeah, yeah, I just can't, I can't follow. Yeah, it's like so. Pink Floyd songs or something. I mean, well, some... I don't know any of those. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you mentioned uh, Darby earlier. I let's, did. Let's talk about dispensational 
uh, theology and covenant theology. Is covenant theology the opposite of dispensational theology? Are they just opposites? I want to say no. I want to say no. And full disclosure, I'm not a dispensationalist. Been there, done that. Not anymore. So I'll be upfront and honest about that. But I I do think um, I still have the ability to be nice to dispensationalists. You do. So the olive branch that I always like to extend uh, is to say, you can affirm covenant theology and still be a dispensationalist. Hmm. In fact, I think the best kind of dispensationalists are those who affirm covenant theology. So let's think this through together, uh, Pactum listeners. So dispensationalism, there's different brands and different varieties, but if you boil it all down, let's call it, you know, essentialist dispensationalism. Uh, there's a, it would be believing that there's a future for national, religious, geopolitical Israel. That that's some famous dispensationalists would basically say that. Hmm. So I, I would say, all right, that, that seems like a good way to explain dispensationalism. There is a future for national Israel, not for Jewish individuals, but for national, indivi- national Israel that is going to inc- include a, a rebuilt temple in dispensationalism, mm-hmm. uh, all the stuff in the Middle East. They're going to have priests, uh, according to dispensationalism. They're going to do animal sacrifices, according to dispensationalism. Right, yeah. All right. Okay. So I don't affirm those things, and if you'd like to have coffee with me or buy me sushi uh, or something, um, I'd be, I would love to have a conversation with you if you are a dispensationalist and affirm those things. We, we can have good conversations, um, and we can read the book of Hebrews together or something. <laughs> but kidding aside, I think you could affirm all of those things about the future for national Israel and still affirm covenant theology. How's that? And that's because covenant theology has to do with salvation. Hmm. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't implications, ramifications. Sure, yeah, yeah. But first and foremost, we're talking about the federal headship, right? Covenantal yeah, yeah, headship right, right. of Adam. You can affirm that and be believing in a future for Israel. Yeah. You also have Jesus as the last Adam. You can affirm that mm-hmm. and believe in a future for Israel. You can affirm that salvation has only ever been by grace and grace alone on account of the finished work of Christ alone. You can affirm that. I hope you do. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, that's that's what we refer to as the covenant of grace. And all of this, according to the atemporal predestined plan, according to Ephesians chapter one, that the triune God covenanted, formally agreed uh, to do this. Mm. I hope you believe yeah. all, of, all of those things and you can still be a dispensationalist. And so I think it, I think it's a... It's a. It's not exactly correct. It is not correct. It would be my argument. A big part of this book is writing to people who used who I used to be like, and somehow we were taught that covenant theology is the polar opposite of dispensationalism. Sure. Yeah. 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 And uh, there are dispensationalists who affirm these three covenants. And uh, I hope you're one of those kind. And this book will seek to help you to be that kind of person. Sure. Um. So I hope that helps. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know. You can, you can have different millennial views, yeah, right. And affirm covenant theology. You can all, all you can you can keep all of that stuff. Sure. Yep. So you mentioned uh, thinking maybe that you know the covenant theology might be that boogeyman outside of the walls. You know, for yes. the back to the village. What makes it so controversial? Why would somebody even want to say, "Oh, those covenant theology people"? You know, what's what's so controversial about it? If Let, it's talking about salvation, let's 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 start with the easy part, um, and that would be. Roman Catholicism could not even get close to affirming it. Mm, yeah. So in Roman Catholicism, you can't have assurance. 
um, right. ordinary, ordinary, normal Joe Schmo, Lisa Christians uh, right. can't have assurance. Well, in classic covenant theology, you absolutely can because God requires absolute strict perfection. So that's not very assuring. <laughs> You're assured condemnation. Right. Yeah. But Jesus, as the last Adam, fulfilled the obligation. Right. So if you trust in him, his perfect righteousness is credited to you as the last Adam. You, you can have justification by faith and by faith alone. Yeah. And so it's controversial for sure when it comes to people like Roman Catholics, they could never affirm it. Hmm. But it's also contra- uh, controversial for other people who maybe aren't big fans of assurance. Hmm. Um, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. But they should read Romans 5, <laughs> 1 and Romans 8, 1. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we would label them neonomians, yeah, people right. who want some kind of new law, maybe an easier law. Uh, no, covenant theology is going to have God's law being strict in what it absolutely requires, and you'll never be able to do it. And you'll say, I can't do it. I need a perfect law keeper. Hmm. Neonomians are going to say, well, maybe it's easier um, now that we have grace or something like sure, that. Yeah. And But you still need to do your part. Yeah, right. So people like Richard Baxter yeah. would not be a fan of classic covenant theology because he was not a fan of assurance, really. He was not a fan of imputed righteousness in the mm. correct reformed kind of right, way. Right. So other newer people who I think were neonomian, people like Dan Fuller, mm. Daniel Fuller, who's no longer living, but wrote um, books that would be very antagonistic against covenant theology. Uh, the Unity of the Bible, uh, the foreword is written by John Piper, who basically makes fun of the covenant of works. Mm. Well, I guess it makes sense because in that book, and Dan Fuller went on to deny justification by grace alone through faith alone, mm. because again, somehow it has something to do with what you do and what God does. But that's not Protestant. That's not reformed. That's not biblical. That's not Christian. Right. Yeah. So it's controversial for people who don't like things like assurance. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's also controversial, Mike, for people who maybe just aren't informed. They think, well, I just teach the Bible. Mm, yeah. And so I just teach the Bible and I don't have a system. And so covenant theology sounds like some kind of system. And I'm just, you know, I just teach the text. I'm an expositor and all that kind of stuff. And so it's controversial sometimes to those kind of folks. Yeah. Maybe they were trained by people who said covenant theology is the boogeyman. Right, yeah. The problem is we, we all have some kind of system, um, and we're, we're either consistent with the system or we're not. Yeah, um, right. And you're going to commit a lot of errors. You're going to end up mixing um, works with faith, for example, mm. if you don't have a clear-headedness about you when it comes to the categories that we've labeled yeah. covenant theology. So. Yeah. Hmm. Other things that would make it controversial, I'm not really sure. It's controversial if you've been warned against it. Sure. Um, yeah, right. And now you think, oh, that's bad. Oh, Pat Abendroth, <laughs> he believes in covenant theology. <laughs> not one of those. So, guys. yeah, oh, no. Well, how about if we open up the book and start looking at text after text after text and we say, well, the labels aren't biblical. We just created those for convenience. But there's really no controversy here because the sure, Bible, yeah. in no uncertain terms, teaches. Covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption, and how nice is it? How convenient it is that we can have a label like such labels to get to the point. Yeah, right. So let's say I'm someone who you know is into the covenant theology thing. I find it appealing. I'm I'm into that. I think I agree with that. I see the value of it, uh, but I'm not so sure 
how I could even share that with others or encourage others to maybe see the value and see how covenant theology is biblical. How would we do that? Mike, you are sounding like a lot of our listeners who reach out to us. I think so. So that's good. And I love it that people reach out. I love it that you all, as you listen, reach out and say, I get it. This makes sense. How can I help? Yeah. And we've already alluded to it. One, one way you could help us help other people that you know, understand the doctrine of justification. Yeah, Help them to understand just how magnificent and wonderful it is that God justifies sinners, Mm, right? Romans 4, 5, and that we, uh, there's no condemnation for us. Romans chapter 8, if we're in Christ, it's wonderful. And if you can help people go there, Mike and I call it the rabbit hole. Right. If you start down that path, how about that? Sure, yeah. You you take that journey. Take that journey. (laughs) Well, before you know it, one thing's built upon another thing, built upon another thing, built upon another thing, as we were saying early on in the episode. And before you know it, you know, you're saying the words covenant theology in your right. sleep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You've bought in. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's a good one. The other thing that we did for a long time, I did for a long time as I was trying to help people get more comfortable with the concepts, I, I didn't use the labels. I didn't say covenant theology. I didn't say covenant of works, covenant right. of grace, covenant right. of redemption. Um, but slowly introduce people to the ideas and concepts. And then before you know it, you maybe you'll call it federal headship. Sure. Yeah. And so, and we know lots of people who say they believe in federal headship, yes, but not are. covenant theology. Yes. Right. <laughs> so newsflash, Pactum listeners, um, those are synonymous because federal just is the, it's the word for covenant. Right. Yeah. So we have a federal representative, Adam, he represents us uh, and what he does affects us formally. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? It comes from the Latin word for covenant. He's our covenant head. He's our federal right. head. Thankfully, all those who will ever trust in Christ also have a federal head, right. a covenant head, and his name is Jesus. Maybe, Mike, uh, as we're talking about this, one thing maybe I should have said earlier, uh, a covenant is simply a formal agreement. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so we do talk about that in the book because that's debated a little bit, but um, I'm certainly settled in, in good company in saying a covenant is a formal agreement. It creates a formal relationship. So we use words like that. Yeah. And so that's a bond, if you will. Mm-hmm. Marriage in the Bible is even referred to as a covenant. It's not a casual thing. Right. There are stipulations, obligations. We exchange vows like yep. we're swearing, we're taking oaths. oaths. Yeah. So hopefully that helps people also. Yeah. That's the advice I would give. And listen to the Pactum. Yeah. And, oh, and buy the book. <laughs> All fantastic advice. <laughs> right. So how important then is covenant theology? It seems rather important. I think we've, we've really have addressed it, right? Yeah, if right. justification by grace alone through faith alone is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls, if Galatians is true, you've got to get justification right or you're anathema. Well, a lot of times people don't get justification right and they could have if they would have paid attention and affirmed classic covenant theology. Hmm. So it's what undergirds it. Uh, It keeps us from doing things like the gospel where we ruin the law and the gospel by blurring the two. So it, it's a God. How about, let's say this, it's a gospel issue. Yeah. Now, thankfully there are people who deny covenant theology who still say, I affirm sola fide justification through faith alone and Christ alone. But what they don't realize is they're probably borrowing from those who are outside of the village. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're thankful that the Lord is patient with us and sometimes we're inconsistent. 
but if you want to be consistent, you affirm sola fide because you affirm what's under it, imputation of Christ's righteousness. Righteousness is obedience to law. So you have active obedience of Christ's doctrine. And below that, you have the covenant of works. Yeah, yeah. So that's why we're so passionate about it. Right. That's why it's such a big deal to us. It's why we talk about it so much. It's why we write dissertations that becomes books about it. There you it. go. Yeah, yep. it is, it's very important. So when you're talking to somebody, you're encouraging them to maybe read the book or uh, listen to the Pactum or uh, learn more about covenant theology. There might be some objections that some of our listeners have heard or are going to hear about covenant theology. So I'm going to give you a couple objections. Okay, and how good. would we How would we answer good. these objections? Help our listeners out with these objections. Uh, a common objection uh, is that covenant theology doesn't take the Bible literally, but it's going to impose things on the Bible that aren't there. Okay. How do we how do we handle that objection? Well, I think we start saying, okay, what texts do you have in mind that we use to support covenant theology and how is it that we're not taking them literally? Sure. Yeah. So I always like to say, give me an example. Yeah. And what, oh, yeah. what we're, what we're going to say is when Romans 2.13 says God doesn't justify the hearers of the law, he justifies the doers of the law. We're going to say, we take that literally. Hmm. Only those who are doers of the law will be justified. Right. And that line is really short. <laughs> yeah. There's only one person who stands in that line, yeah. and his name is Jesus. Yeah. That's why you need him as your federal head, trusting in him. So very literal. It's not, oh, Romans 2.13, so maybe if we just do enough works, God will justify us. It, it most certainly doesn't say that. So we're going to take it literally. Mm. Romans 2.13 on its own has you as a son or daughter of Adam smoked. Um, you need Jesus. That's why we read Romans 3 and following. Hmm. Um, also, federal headship, Romans 5, 18, 19, you know, through one man's disobedience, we have condemnation. Okay, that's Adam. He was in a formal relationship with God, a covenantal relationship uh, representing the human race, and he disobeyed, and it led to condemnation. Also, Romans five eighteen to 19, Jesus obeyed through his act of obedience, uh, the many are made righteous, hmm. righteous in the eyes of God, justified. In other words, I, I don't know what we're not taking literally there. So also regarding this whole literal thing, you know, people, they want to say, well, hey, that word covenant isn't used. I mean, look through Genesis one through three, there's no covenant there. <laughs> so you can't, what are you talking about? Covenant works. Yeah. So yeah, this is a common one. So it can't, Adam could not have been in a covenantal relationship because the word covenant isn't used. Genesis one to three, for example. And uh, first of all, let's just acknowledge that that's kind of, that's kind of lame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the word sin is not used in Genesis 1 to 3 either, and we all know the fall, the fall <laughs> right? right? The sin fall. is there. So you don't have to have the word for the con there to be there for the concept to be there. Sure, right. You, get, you fail Bible College 101 classes for that kind of stuff. Sure, so, yeah, yeah. So not to mention the fact that we – so if, if clearly it's a formal relationship, right? Adam wasn't – free to do whatever he wanted to do right, yeah. without consequence. He was supposed to do something yes. and he didn't do it. And there was a consequence. Right. That's a, that looks like a covenantal relationship. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention there are texts such as Hosea six, seven right. uh, that say things like this, like Adam, they referring to Israel transgressed the covenant. So I, I mean the, for those of you who are listening, who are biblicists, there you go. There right. it is. Yeah. And uh, if you say, well, uh, that's Adam a place, not Adam the person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're now that you've joined theological leftists and liberals, right. 
for their view because they don't like a historic Adam, you find you're, you're getting yourself in a bad spot. So I want to, sure. I want to be a little bit mean spirited to be provocative, but I want to appeal to you as a friend and as a Christian, why, why work so hard to object to this wonderful biblical doctrine that gives assurance mm-hmm. that's based upon texts of scripture. Um, looking forward to having you join the team one day. Yes. The water's warm. Come on, Come on in. in. Um, okay. What about, uh, the objection? Salvation's not by works. Yeah, that, that's definitely one of the objections because in covenant theology, we're going to say the covenant of works requires perfect obedience. That's true. Absolutely. And people say, yeah, but Ephesians two, eight and nine, right. yeah. I, I've literally, I literally engage someone in the book who says this sort of thing. Well, Salvation most certainly is by works. Right. Jesus didn't just show up and take a nap. Right. Right. Yeah. Jesus didn't just show up and say, you know, what? What? How's it going? <laughs> He's born under the law. Right. He yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus obeyed. Jesus did all the right things. Jesus suffered and died. Mm. His death is a work. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he he did all the works. So salvation is by works. It's not by your works because you're a sinner uh, and you're united to the first Adam. But it's by the works of Christ. Mm. And so everyone puts merit somewhere. Uh, let's have it be the merits of Christ. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be somehow his and yours, right. which is not very Christian. Sure. So is there anything you would change if you wrote the book today? I mean, you mentioned this is essentially your 2016 dissertation yes. right, in book form. So would you change anything if you rewrote it? Sure. Uh, and I would even change the preface because we found a typo. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell them that. So right. Now that uh, – Hundreds of books have gone out. We'll make that little change to that. But that's just, you know, a little humble pie. You know, hey. Do you have pie at your house? Not now. Okay. Not right this moment. All right. That was a long time (laughs) ago. We did that episode. Uh, you'll have to do, Pactum listeners, you'll have to do a deep dive to find out yeah. that reference. Yeah, but let us know what you find. We, we do like some inside jokes now and then because it's Pactum verse culture. It is, it is. It's a whole right? thing. It's good. All right. So anything I would change, I, I would change, yeah, probably a fair amount. Um, it It's not super hard to read, but sometimes it does border on the scholarly kind of side. When I reread it, I thought, yeah, my wife wouldn't love this book. She, <laughs> she could read it. Yeah. She would read it. She has read it. It, but I, I, I'd like to calm it down a little bit yeah, sure. as an intro. Uh, I would like to talk more about law and gospel issues and address mm. those more directly, maybe even a chapter or an appendix, because these things tend to go hand in hand. Sure, yeah. Uh, if you get covenant of works, covenant of grace straight, you're probably not going to be a gospel right, person. Right, yeah. So they tend to go hand in hand. I think my understanding's better because we all grow and learn, hopefully. But I did reread it recently before we put it out in book form. And and not to sound weird, but I was happy. I thought, <laughs> well, okay. I, I still good. believe still that. Believe that. <laughs> it's still right. And I, I, it made me smile. I was encouraged. We don't talk about some of the more advanced issues that are points of controversy between covenantalists. Mm, so we sure. don't talk about 1689 federalism. And since I wrote the, the dissertation, it's become quite a thing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So I would I would address it if I wrote it again. Um, but I'm also kind of glad that it's not in there because I have friends who are not 1689 Federalists uh, and they really like the book. Mm-hmm. And I have friends who are 1689 Federalists and they really like the yeah. book. Yeah. So it's maybe a good intro for every all both camps to give to someone who's in evangelicalism. Sure. Who, yeah. who needs to see that it is biblical to affirm classic covenant theology. So sure, yeah. I would change that uh, maybe a little bit more on biblicism. There is an appendix on biblicism. It's one of the two appendices mm-hmm. and uh, that's become a hot topic yes. here lately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I wish it, it does address the matter appropriately, but I would say more because it's, it's in the news again. Right. Right. So anyway, active obedience could use some sprucing up. It's also an appendix, but we do have another book project coming yes. on the act of obedience of Christ. You can look for that. Hopefully it'll be done soon. Soon and very soon. Okay. All right. Uh, so uh, are there different brands of covenant theology? There are, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this because of the more generic scope of the book. But what I will say is um, just like in other camps, they have, you know, people say, well, I, I know that person is in my camp, but I don't believe exactly the same way. Yeah, there are different brands. But the, the big takeaway from this book and the people we really lock arms with would be people who do see a distinction between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Mm. And so in technical terms, we would, we would be bi-covenantal, mm-hmm. two, yeah, right. two primary covenants in that sense. Uh, and so, and we would be in opposition to actually those who are mono-covenantal. Yeah. Right. They believe in one covenant, uh, and they don't like a law gospel distinction, and they don't like the distinction between covenant of works and covenant of grace, but they still call themselves covenantal. Mm. Um, that, that's, a, that's a war that takes place. So sure. this book is decidedly, definitively bi-covenantal because they're, both are good and important, but you don't blur the two, right. and that gets into our favorite gospel kind of thing. Right. Uh, so that's important. I remember taking class with R.C. Sproul. And he asked day one, you know, how many covenants do you guys affirm? He went around the room mm. and uh, some of the guys didn't even know, you know, they, they were new to the mm, party yeah. and they're like counting Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant. Sure, and, sure. and that wasn't what he was getting at. He was, are you a monocovenantalist sure. or, or, or are you a bicovenantalist? Because originally, fundamentally, covenant theology is covenant of works, covenant of grace. Yes. Now we have added, if you will, in the mix even though it's always been there, right. we say covenant of redemption yes. as well. Yeah. So there are different varieties, and I'm not even talking about some of them um, just because I don't want to get that far into the weeds. Sure, yeah. But the big one is make sure you understand there's a difference between covenant of works, covenant of grace, and don't blur the two right. lest you ruin both of them. Right. So does covenant theology require infant baptism? You hear that sometimes. It's a common kind of saying. So uh, maybe some of my friends who are... Um, <laughs> Pedo Baptists are going to say it does. And so, well, I would say it doesn't because there are those who affirm covenant theology, covenant works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption, and they would be Baptistic or they would be Baptists. So Spurgeon would be an example, a classic example of one who last time I checked was a was a Baptist. <laughs> um, John Bunyan would be another one. Sure. The Second London Confession uh, would obviously be another one. So I think the answer is no uh, to that question. And that's yeah. actually pretty important. Yeah, I think And so. even my Presbyterian type friends, I think generally would agree in the sense that they're trying to win everybody over. Sure. Uh, so, hey, the water's warm. Come on in. It's just our water is deeper if we're Baptists. <laughs> 
the deep waters. Who are some of your greatest influences in this whole and, and this whole thing? I have you know I have to say in 1994 when I was in chapel and seminary and John MacArthur came in and I think he just came from the airport or something and hmm. told him to turn the recording off and he just launched about being in Florida meeting with R.C. Sproul hmm. and Mike Horton and talking about this huge new controversy and it lit a fire under me and I thought I've got. He inspired me to understand justification better, hmm. and I'm thankful for that. That's great. But then you go a little further, and then it's Sproul and imputation, and Sproul's like, you know what? We should call ourselves imputationists. Yeah. <laughs> so the Sproul then kind of goes a little bit deeper into things, and before you know it, then I took you know classes and studied under people like Mike Horton and John Fesco and Dennis Johnson. Uh, and so those have really been helpful. They've been great influences The my fellow elders here at the church where we pastor have been a huge influence because we've worked through these issues, issues together and hashed it out. Church members have helped with questions. So the big influences have been the church, church members, fellow pastors, uh, and also some, some authors who've really helped me. My friend Scott Clark in more recent days has been a good sounding board to think through some of these issues. Mm. Um, and so that's been helpful. That book that Scott edited, Covenant, Justification, and Pastoral Ministry, was really, really helpful. I don't know how many times I've read it through mm. as I was researching these things. So uh, those have been big influences in my life, and I'm thankful for them, thankful unto the Lord. Uh, and it's those have been the big influencers. Yeah. So where do I get the book? Where do we get it? Uh, it's, on, it's, it's on Amazon, and uh, church bookstores are starting or, to order it in bulk, so that's exciting. I'm not sure where else it's going to be eventually, yeah. so it is in paperback. It is uh, available in Kindle yep, and Kindle. audiobook coming, Lord willing, right? Oh, yes. It's true. Rumor has it. It's going to happen. <laughs> All right, so if you've made it to this point in the episode, you're ready to win your copy of Covenant Theology. Maybe it'll be this one I hold in it my hand right here. It could be very one. I'll Will hold- it be signed? Are you going to sign it? I don't know. I don't want to defile the thing. That's true. I can do it. We'll, well, we'll, you let us know. Yeah. If you win, let us know if you want that thing signed or not. If you want it <laughs> crisp and clean. Okay. Here's what you got to do to win the contest. Uh, you are going to link to this episode and do a screenshot of it as well. Okay. So it's kind of a two-part thing. You're going to, on Twitter or Instagram, wherever these things happen on the interwebs, you're going to link to this episode and screenshot the episode, like you're listening to it kind of screenshot yeah, type okay. thing. And you're going to post that. And then we're going to pick one winner out of the mix. I think we're going to pick number seven we, because it's the number of fullness. It's we, the number of completion. We, we could pick number seven. We'll see how it shakes out, whether it's number seven, <laughs> because then maybe people just sit there and wait for number five. Number this five. all seems no. kind of rigged. Is you know, this so somebody in your family can win? No, there's auto, there's generators that take you, put all the information and who all entered in it. So it might mind. be random. It is a random. So like it's a, so good luck, everybody. Good luck. Good providences <laughs> to you. <laughs> so link to the episode, screenshot it, and you will win if you're selected. All right. There thank you. Go. Yeah, there you go. All right. <laughs> thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so on all the social media kind of places. It's pretty easy to find us on Twitter and Instagram, but you can also reach out to us on our website, which is thepactum.org. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time here on The Pactum. The Pactum.